that you've tuned in tonight as we, uh, again, get started tonight. Uh, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Let's continue praying for revival. Uh, you know, it just seems like every day, uh, you, know, you know what it is, every day it just seems like, oh, God help us. <laughs> uh, and so let's, let's pray. Let's pray for our missionaries. Um, I was in a meeting last night in Fort Worth and, um, of course the, the Ukrainian situation there, we did some work with the, uh, uh, refugees last year in Poland and, uh, you know, that's still an ongoing conflict and a lot of, a lot of churches have been destroyed. Uh, but the churches that are there, I was really interested in this, um, the churches that are there, um, have just ballooned they just absolutely exploded and uh they were just talking about how prior to the war uh pentecostals because uh you know it's generally kind of state you know communism socialism is kind of state state mandated so so they were taught to be scared of people like us and that we were kind of crazy and uh i know some they're kind of crazy but anyway that's another story <laughs> but uh we uh but but what's happened is they have one of the reasons we do our food distribution is to be again to be tangible in representing Christ. Um, you know I call it being Jesus with skin on, and and that's really what it is. It's it's metaphorically representing Christ in a very tangible way. And so uh, they were just talking about the church has actually been um, leading the recovery efforts, support efforts through through the various. Uh, programs that are offered through Convoy of Hope, things like that, and, and people are starting to, you know, starting to click that, hey, these people aren't quite as bad as what we were told. And so now, consequently, the churches are filling up, uh, and, and, and that's Romans eight twenty eight right there, that how God takes bad things and he turns it around, and while we don't want to see war, uh, God's, God's redeeming that and reaching people. Uh, but let's do pray for revival in our own land. And, uh, and, and what God's wanting to do here through us here at Bethel. Father, tonight we are so grateful to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you that for your grace. Lord, the last two weeks, Lord, we just saw, Lord, just once again a reminder that your grace is sufficient for every need. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, we're grateful that uh, for, the, for the cross, we're grateful for the empty tomb, and we're grateful for the promise and the hope of heaven. And I pray, Father, tonight that that would frame as we come to you with needs, every hand that went up in the building, those that are online tonight, Lord, we have need. God, I thank you that you are an ever-present help in our time of trouble. As uh, Paul Warlow uh, laid his mother to rest today, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to uh, be with them and strengthen them and to be that comfort. Lord, thank you again for the hope of heaven. I pray for those that need a healing touch today. I pray, Father, for those that need some encouragement Lord, those that need provision, Lord, tonight, we thank you that there is no situation, there is no need that you're not competent enough and able to do more than we could even imagine. Father, we pray for our missionaries that are serving uh, around the world, some in some very tense situations, but Lord, they're there so that the gospel might be claimed in all, proclaimed in all the world as a witness. Father, we support them, we pray for them, give them open doors. May they seize opportunities, Lord, even in the most difficult circumstances. Lord, we recognize your opportunities. Uh, so, Lord, help us to seize that here in our own country, Lord. We pray for revival from, from border to border and from coast to coast, Lord. Let it begin with us. 
Uh, Lord, may we just fan the flame that's within and see it spread throughout Johnson County and beyond. Lord, I pray that you will touch our hearts and lives. Challenge us tonight. I pray for all the ministries that are on campus tonight. Lord, may you be glorified and magnified in all things. And I pray that you'll be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it down to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me to Joshua 24. We're going to wrap up this series tonight. Um, We're going to be talking about a legacy of faith, a legacy of faith. While you're turning here, a couple of announcements. Tomorrow is our food distribution day, Uh, so we'll be meeting here at 930 or down at the Rock, um, I believe at 10 or whatever (laughs) whatever time. I just work. I don't know anything. Uh, But we'll be there uh, tomorrow. To uh, We have food for 200 families, and uh, again, I appreciate the faithfulness. I do want to add that uh, we, are, we have been able to schedule a second um, distribution. So we now will begin, we'll do the um, second Thursday of the month, and we're now going to begin doing the fourth, fourth, <laughs> fourth, <laughs> the fourth Thursday of the month. And that will start this month. I know there's a little conflict. We're going to try to have it done before the senior luncheon uh, but uh, we're going to, again, the need is great. Uh, things aren't getting better <laughs> in, in our country. The needs continue. And so we're going to, that one we're actually going to do here on campus. Uh, so anyway, that, that will be two weeks from Thursday. But tomorrow, uh, don't forget the uh, baptism service on Sunday. Uh, if you know anyone needing to be baptized, I think we have 18 or 20 or so ready to be baptized on Sunday uh, from the last couple of weeks. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we had a great two weeks, uh, Friend Day, Easter, looking forward to baptism on Sunday. Uh, and then also, don't forget, FAM, uh, Faith and uh, Marriage Ministry, is doing their uh, gathering at the barn on Friday night. Uh, that's happening. And then also the golf tournament uh, that's coming up on the 29th. If you own a business, would like to sponsor a hole, I think there's uh, five more holes that need to be sponsored. You can do that. Or if you have a team, would like to put a team together, We'd love for you to do that as well. So, and then ladies, don't forget the last week of this last weekend, Friday and Saturday, is the women's conference. So, um, there's a lot of stuff going on this uh, last couple of weeks, but everybody always talks about being busy. No, I said, nobody will ever accuse me of grass growing under my feet. You know, just, and it's not that I'm event driven. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I just believe that ministry is active. And, and I just enjoy the opportunity to get out and serve and do whatever. So anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. As I said, we're going to close out this study on Joshua. We've been talking about courage in trying times. And, and man, what, a, what an incredible individual to talk about courage, Joshua. Uh, just, a, just a man of, of incredible courage. Uh, I, I just want to read one verse, probably one of the most famous verses in, and passages in the Old Testament. But here's what he says, verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And here's his saying. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. You got to forgive me. I couldn't get my iPad to sync up with everything, so... I had to go back old school, um, and there's only so, it, you know, the font can only get so big on paper. You know, I'd be having people hold it up out there, but 
anyway, so as we as we wrap up our series tonight on Joshua, again, we this is it's been a wonderful study as we've looked at this great man. Uh, you know, we began with Joshua. We began our study by looking at how God chose him to. Uh, after Moses died. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you lead these people. So, so he was hand chosen by God to, to step up after the death of Moses. Uh, he promised, the thing I enjoy about the call of Joshua is that God promised him the same thing that he gave to Moses. He said, as I was with him, I will be with you. That, again, if you're calling uh, someone into a leadership role, how encouraging is it for God to be able to say, you know what, just like I was with your mentor, I'll be with you. And, and that's what he reassured him with. And he also told him, he said, you know what, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And then he said, don't be afraid. And the reason he said don't be afraid is because Joshua is the one that leads them on the conquest of the promised land. There were mountains that had to be conquered. There were giants that had to be taken care of. There were enemies that were occupying the promised land. And so God was reminding him, look, I'm with you, and nobody's going to be able to stand against you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We saw them cross the mighty Jordan River. Uh, We saw them defeat Jericho and then suffer the humiliating defeat at Ai. Uh, We followed through that process of dealing with Achan's sin and sin in the camp Uh, And then how God blessed them as they moved in and conquered the land. Uh, Last week, I thought, was a wonderful study because we talked about Caleb stepping up after 45 years of of really being biblically silent. You know, when he's 40 years old, he's part of the crew that go in and spy out the land, and he's given a promise of an inheritance. And for 45 years, he has watched that unbelieving generation die off. And then he comes up to Joshua and he says, remember what he said? Give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. He said, I am 85 years old and I'm as strong today as I was that day. Man, give us the, give us the Caleb spirit as we age. Uh, you know, as we begin tonight talking about legacy, uh, the words of Chuck Swindoll ring true. Here's what he said. He said, whatever else, we, whatever else may be said about the home, It is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence is the family. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, This this week I'll be launching into a, a, a new short series on Sunday called Family Values, and it's to go along with the new ministry that we jumped in called fam because I think the family is hurting today and we need to do something about it. Uh, Family is very, very important. You know, we live in a world today that downplays the value of the home. And, and I, and I'm just going to say this. If you, if you're listening to a talking head that starts denigrating the family, marriage, parenting, do yourself a favor, turn them off, turn, turn them off. We devalue the family, and, and yet God, uh, God values the family. You know, we, we, don't, we don't realize the kind of world that our children face every day. And, man, things have changed. How many, how many would agree with that? Th- things have changed. I, I, I know you've seen this before. I may have even used this before, but, but there, there's interesting thing. Internet, you can find anything on the Internet. Here's what I said. Kids in the, in the 30s uh, 
grew up during the Depression when, te- when times were very hard. Everybody had to work, and a dollar was a lot of money. Kids in the 40s grew up with World War II, Frank Sinatra, and Bogey and Bacall. Kids in the 50s grew up with black and white television. I like Ike, hula hoops, and that kid from Tupelo, Mississippi named Elvis Presley. Kids in the 60s grew up with the Beatles, LSD, assassinations, the summer of love, Vietnam, and violence in the streets of our cities. Kids in the 70s grew up with Charlie's Angels, Disco, Happy Days, MASH, Saturday Night Fever, and the Doobie Brothers. And they broke up, by the way. (laughs) Kids in the 80s grew up with crack cocaine, AIDS, MTV, Pee Wee Herman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Nintendo, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Kids in the 90s grew up with The Simpsons, Friends, Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, rap music, and Nirvana. Kids in the 2000s, they grew up with 9-11, the war on terror, American Idol, Harry Potter, South Park, MySpace. There was something called MySpace. I had no space, but MySpace and Hannah Montana. Kids in the teens and beyond, we'll stop there, grew up with Lady Gaga, Drake, iPhones, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, sexting, and gay marriage. And it continues down that cycle. Our kids today, I want you to understand this, they see more, they know more, they experience more, and they grow up a whole lot faster than what we did. I was, we had, we do prayer, uh, praying with the pastor on Tuesday mornings at 9 o'clock. And a lady was at prayer yesterday, and she caught me afterwards, and she said, she was talking about uh, third graders. She said, they're talking in terms that I did not, I was not even introduced to until I was in my teenage years. Third graders. They're saying things and putting complex things together, uh, not, not good complex things, but things together uh, in third grade that I wasn't even exposed to until I was in my teens. Again, that's where we are. Sex talk is nothing to them because they hear it every day. And so against this reality, uh, the, uh, again, I think James Dobson hits, the, hits, the, hits it out of the park when he says, we must make, listen to what he said, we must make the salvation of our children our number one priority. Nothing is more important. And I would echo and say absolutely amen. That nothing is more important than passing on, pardon me, a generational faith that goes from one to the next to the next. Joshua, as we move into our, the meat of our teaching tonight, I think Joshua certainly understood the power of parenthood. As he came to the end of his life, again, I want you to picture this aged man now who has served Moses well. He was born in captivity. He was part of the crew that went into to spy out the land. He, he, he was there as he watched that unbelieving generation die off. Now they're going into and, and they're, they're, uh, the conquest of the promised land. He's now aged, and so he gets the leaders together for one final message. And you think, what would, what would this aged man say in his final words? 
Again, knowing that he is one step away from death, he sounds a call to renewal that begins basically what he does is he starts with a reminder of all of God's blessings in the past. Then he challenges the people to be faithful to God. One of the things I did, I did some years ago was uh, I wrote a letter to each of my children. Uh, I probably need to update it. <laughs> but I wrote a letter to, to my children, uh, and I put it in a, pl- a place and told them it's there should, so- should something ever happen to me. And it, it you know, it, it, but he gets them together, and he starts talking to them. And, and so in the middle of his message is where we are in our text tonight. This is the middle of what he's wanting to do. So picture him gathering the elders together to give them one final message. And right in the middle of his message to them, he gives a very strong conviction regarding his family. Verse 15, he says, But as for me and my family or my household, we will serve the Lord. So let's close out our series on Joshua by looking at five decisions that we have to make if we want our families to serve the Lord. Five decisions that are essential if we want our families to serve the Lord. Listen, when my children were born, and, and I understood the gravity of that, being a parent, and I recognized I had one shot. This, this is the way, again, this is the way my brain works. I have one shot to model and to encourage and instruct my children to fall in love with Jesus. One shot. When they're up at a, at a certain age and I no longer have that type of influence on them, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And so it was very important to me. And so what are these five decisions that we have to make? Well, number one, we have to decide to build a grace-based family. Grace-based. Now, what does that mean? Well, so, so here's what happens. Joshua now begins to recount the story of the conquest of the promised land. And so how he does that is he reminds them of what God has done for them. That's a good thing to do, okay? I always tell people that one of the, one of the challenges for us is when we find ourselves in a crisis, we, we have short memory. We suffer from amnesia because we don't remember the last time we were in a pickle and God bailed us out. You know, we have spiritual amnesia. So here's what Joshua does. Here's what he, in verses 11 through 13, he said, he said, then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. A lot of parasites, probably part of that too. He said, but I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet. This is God speaking to them. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. Listen to what God says to them. I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. What is he doing? He's, he wants the people to never forget that they, owe, they owed everything to God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He didn't want them to take it for granted. He did not want them to forget what all God had done for him. After all, the Israelite army, again, you think about where they are. They had won battle after battle, oftentimes routing the enemy from the field. It would be natural to start thinking, hey, we got this. We're something special. Remember when they went against I. 
you know, they, they surveyed and, 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 the, and the generals came back to Joshua and said, hey, we don't really need a lot of men. Just send a couple thousand over there. They're, they're, no, they're just an outpost. We just handled Jericho. They're just an outpost, and we'll take care of them lickety-split. And, of course, we know how that ended up, an embarrassing, humiliating defeat. But, see, they got on a roll, and they started defeating one enemy after another after another. And if you're not careful, those victories start getting up here. The Bible says be careful when you start becoming haughty, when you think more of yourself than you ought to. So, so that, that's what he's doing. You know, we, we, we start thinking we're, sometimes, we're special, but that thought is deadly. It was deadly then, it's deadly now. Joshua knew that once people began taking credit for their victories, they would soon turn away from the Lord altogether. They would start believing their own press. They would start believing in their own military might. They would start believing in their own uh, military prowess. He said, hey, don't you ever forget that God gave you a place. You didn't do anything. I think it would be wise as families, as we grow, to do what Joshua did with the people of Israel. I mean, I think it's a good thing to sit down and review with the past blessings to your children and, and even make a written record. You know, again, find some way to communicate to the next generation what God has done. You know, being able to say, well, you know what? You know, like I share that story about that gas can. You've heard me share that story that, that we shouldn't be, my family shouldn't be alive today. I, I mentioned this in prayer yesterday. Let me tell you what happened this past weekend. My sister and brother-in-law were here for, the, for Easter and uh, had their grandbabies that they're raising here with us. And so he developed Sunday afternoon, he developed an inner ear, and he wanted to get home to, to, to be able to go to the doctor Monday. So they decided to leave Sunday evening and drive. They were going to drive to Monroe, Louisiana, spend the night, and then get up and finish, get into Mobile midday and be able to go to the doctor. So I get up on Monday morning and open up the computer, and there's a note from my sister that they were in Jackson, Mississippi, south of Jackson, Mississippi, that in the middle of the night, about well, about 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, he didn't stop, by the way. <laughs> I said, that's a typical man. <laughs> he just got in there and just started going. Uh, anyway, about 3 o'clock in the morning, he thought they had a blowout on their vehicle. They pulled off the side of the road. When he got out, three of the lug nuts on one of the tires had sheared off completely. Another one was broken. The, the uh, brake pad had sheared off and actually, if I remember correctly, fused to the, to, the, to the wheel. And so when they called the sheriff's department, when they got off, they, they got them out of harm's way, uh, the deputy sheriff said they had never seen anything like that, that he's driving 70 and 75 miles an hour, and that thing breaks like it does, and the car doesn't, it doesn't flip. It doesn't. So they later. They, so they got it towed to a deal, uh, to a place. They got it fixed midday and got got back home to Mobile. But the mechanic told him, said, "I went around checked every lug nut." He said every single tire had loose lug nuts, and he said there was some that were so loose I could twist them with my fingers. Wow. See, that's a story you tell those grandkids. Let me tell you what God did for us. 
Let me tell you, we shouldn't be here. That gas can that lodged under our car, that metal gas can that we drug across a concrete interstate going 70 miles an hour, sparking down the road, punctured the gas can, but it didn't blow up. That's what Joshua was doing. said, look, folks, you remember. This is what I think every family ought to say. You know what? Remember when you were so sick and how we prayed and how God intervened and God did something for you? Those are stories that build faith. Those are stories that are so important. Do you remember how dad lost his job and, and we prayed for dad to get a new job and God provided? See, that's, that's kind of what Joshua is doing here. He's trying to get them to remember the graces of God that took care of them in those difficult times. Has God blessed you? If he has, write it down. Do some sort of memorial book for your family and let people know what God, this is what the Lord, look what the Lord has done. And, and, and annotate those things. Think about it often. Tell your children, your grandchildren. Pass it along to succeeding generations so they can tell the story after you're gone to heaven. The second thing, if I'm going to, I've got to make a decision, not just about a grace-based family, but I also have to teach my family to worship. Pardon me, to worship God. Notice I said, well, I, have, I have to teach them to do it. Notice what he said in verse 14. He said, now fear the Lord. Now fear the Lord. Now when we think about fear, we, we think about, you know, this, this is not shaking in your boots fear, okay? That's not what that's about. It's about a deep respect for the Lord. B- the biblical concept of fearing God It means to have such a deep respect for God that we want to please him with everything that we do. The motivator by the decisions that we make is, is it going to please God? That's what the fear of the Lord is. One writer calls it, and I love the way he uses this, he calls it the inner devotion that causes us to honor God. So how do we share this inner devotion uh, with our families? Again, I, I think it's more of an atmosphere than it is a program. I think learning how to turn your home into a place of nurturing where the Spirit of the Lord is present. By the way, do you do know it only takes two or three gathered in his name? So, So your home can be that place where his presence dwells. Again, when the parent truly fears God, our children will learn to fear God too. When they have a deep respect for God, then our children will have a deep respect for the Lord. You know, the callousness of our culture today drives me bonkers sometimes when we want to talk about the man upstairs or the big guy. You know, who are we dirt made of dirt to talk to God like that? You know, but again, that's just where we are in our culture. I think as parents, we ought to teach an atmosphere of worship to our children. You know, when, when, when children, when the parents love the Lord, it's going to be a natural thing for children to love him too. When we pray as parents, with our children, then they learn to pray as well. They learn to love prayer. When we study the Bible, same thing, on and on. When we study the Word, read the Word, we show a love for it, and, and, and it's contagious. And, and here's the thing. Men, men bear a heavy responsibility in this area. And I think we all have to admit for too many years we delegated spiritual leadership to the women while the men went out to, into the world to make a living. But that's not the order in which God has prescribed things to be. We've laid a burden on the women that God never intended for them to bear all by themselves. See, God meant for spiritual leadership to be a shared burden. And oftentimes it's not. The man has to take the initiative 
if we truly want the blessings of the Lord. Some of you might remember, I think it was in the 50s, that Norman Rockwell painted a picture, and I think it was on the cover of a magazine. And in this picture, he, picked, he showed this suburban family, okay? And, and I don't know what it was called, but it, he showed this suburban family that were, they were going to church, okay? And the family going to church was led by the oldest sister, followed by the mom, uh, who is followed by the younger sister. All three of these women are dressed to go to church. Following them is a young boy, a little boy, that shows uh, that appears to be very disinterested, who's going to church reluctantly. What's the problem? Well, in that picture, at the center of the painting is, is dear old dad slumped in a living room chair. That's the problem. He's in his pajamas. He's reading the newspaper with a cigarette in his hand. And you can imagine as Junior walks by, he casts his longing eyes at his father, and he would rather stay with his father than to go to church with his mom and his sisters. What an image. Men, we bear a huge responsibility in the spiritual guidance of our children. Again, we must learn that actions speak louder than words. Again, another decision that we have to make is we also, not only do we teach them to worship, we also model obedience. We model obedience. Verse 14, he goes on, and, and, and I would encourage you to go back and read verse 14 and highlight the word serve. He said, now fear the Lord and serve him. With all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. Twice in that portion of Scripture, he says serve. In fact, the word served uh, is used in its various forms six times in two verses. So you kind of get an idea there that there's something about serving. There's, uh, again, my faith is not an isolated thing. It's not, a, it's not a dormant thing. It's an active thing. In fact, James said, faith without works is it's dead. That's what this is. <coughs> Pardon me. Again, I think this is obvious by him using the word in its various forms six times in two verses. I think it's obviously a burden on his heart because I think he wants people to, will, to know uh, that people to willingly choose to serve the Lord. And, and again, he specifies what it means when he says, in all faithfulness. In other words, if you're going to serve the Lord, don't go at it half, half cocked. Don't do it halfway. Don't give it to old college try and serve him faithfully with all things, in all things. I love that, I love that phrase, in all faithfulness. What's that mean? It means every area of our lives has to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. How many people in our culture have erected do no trespassing signs in certain areas of their life? God, you can have every part of me except. God, I'll do anything for you but. I'll go anywhere but. That's, that's, he said, don't do that. He said, serve the Lord in all faithfulness, in every area of your life. Be faithful. One of the couples that we, so what we did last night, we had 
uh, and, and I fairly felt bad for them because it was 4 a.m. where they were. Uh, but this missionary couple that uh, we Zoomed. So I had 16 in my meeting last night, and, and we're Zooming. We have, we have uh, 28 locations around the country, and we're all Zooming in, and we had these two missionaries. And their husband and wife, uh, missionaries that are serving in, in the Ukraine, they've been in Ukraine over 25 years, but when the war happened, she left with their with their daughter, and uh, he's still there. He's still in Ukraine, and she's in Poland with her daughter. And and I couldn't help but just think about, you know, I'm watching them, and, and I'm trying to put myself because he's on this. He can see her, and she can see him, and they're separated by, you know, by a country. He's in a war zone. She's in Poland working with refugees. And I just sat there and I marveled. I marveled and I thought, wow, that's serving in all faithfulness. Serving in all faithfulness. There's no, nobody would blame them if they packed up and said, you know what, we're going to take and get out of here and go to safety. Nobody would blame them. Nobody would call their calling into question or their faith into question. But yeah, they chose and said, you know what, there's a greater there's a greater good that's taking place here that we, we don't want to miss the opportunity. You know, they say that an opportunity of a lifetime is only as good as the, as the lifetime of the opportunity. And they found an opportunity of a lifetime, and they're seizing it right there. Joshua said, serve the Lord in all faithfulness. All faithfulness means there can't be any hidden rooms that we reserve for ourselves. It means throwing in lock, stock, and barrel. God, you can have, so, so if you notice the last two weeks as I led folks in that sinner's prayer, I always say, Lord, I give you everything I have, everything I am, everything I ever will be. That's all in. I wonder what the church could do, the body of Christ in America, if believers decided to go all in. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we just threw off the reserve signs and gave access to the Spirit to come in and make the changes that need to be made and said, God, I'm just all in. What did David pray in Psalm 51? Search me, O oh God. That's a scary prayer, is it not? Search me. See if there's anything hidden that I might not know about or I might not be, a, uh, not be cognizant of. Search me and Know me. Reveal to me. Show me. Again, it means putting aside. And, and so here's, it, it goes on. And so what he says is serving with all faithfulness. It means no hidden rooms that we reserve for ourselves. It also means putting aside the false gods that are worshipped by the pagans. Now, I love what commentator Matthew Henry calls it. He calls, the, he calls these, uh, here's what he calls them, dunghill deities. <laughs> Isn't that descriptive? Dunghill deities, he says he does, and he calls them that because they have no power to save, only the power to corrupt. That's a pretty descriptive thing right there. Dunghill de deities. I read a letter from an inmate uh, he, that was posted, and here's, here's the way his letter reads. He said, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said, I used to have all sorts of magazines like Penthouse, an Easy Rider, an American Rodder, Playboy, and Hot Rod. 
But today as I look around, none of those exist. Only Bibles and good reading. I enjoy spending time reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have tried to get what I saw others had from from that book but never did. But one of my brothers here told me to pray for understanding. Just like that, reading became joyful. My Lord has changed my life. I never could have, my, my Lord has changed my life. I never could have. I praise God for saving my life by sending me to a place where he could show, slow me down and take me from Satan. Thank you, Jesus. And the reason I read that letter and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool because uh, notice when he said he got rid of, he got rid of stuff. You know what that stuff was? It was God's dunghill deities that were beyond the river, if you want to use Joshua's terminology. It was the dunghill deities that were beyond, beyond the river. The old literature went out with his old life, and it was replaced by the Word of God and good Christian material. See, that's a, that's a genuine sign of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man is in Christ, he's new. Old things pass away. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle with the past, Okay. I know a lot of people that still struggle with baggage from their past. And, that, and, and I, I think that, you know, again, you've got those two natures that are warring against us. But he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And we are more than conquerors. So we can fight that battle. So, so again, if, uh, the third decision is I've got to model obedience. I've got to get rid of that stuff. Listen, as a father, you are a protector of that home. One of the things I say in, in, in baby dedications is I say, let nothing enter your home that will injure the soul of your child. Now, I will tell you this, that you will be labeled by others fanatic, a freak, out of touch, and worse. But if it guarantees your children have an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus... Hit me with your best shot. Call me the worst thing you can call me. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The fourth decision is we've got to remember our spiritual heritage. He goes on. Here's what he said. He said, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua, what he does, he does an interesting thing here in this verse. He offers them a series of choices. He's like, look, make a choice. Here it is. You get to choose. You know, it's like Monty Hall. You, you got a choice. Curtain one, curtain two, curtain. You get to choose. But choose whom you will serve. So, so the first choice is, okay, first, the true God. And then he mentions the gods that are beyond the river. That means the river Euphrates, okay? Referring to the gods of, the, of, of Ur, of the Chaldees. Uh, again, those would be the ancient tradition gods, the, the, the moon god, the sun god. Then he goes on, the gods of Egypt, you know, the gods of sun, rain, darkness, natural disasters. The gods of the Amorites, meaning the gods of fertility and sexual pleasure. He said, look, you, you got a choice. You can serve the true god. You can serve the God of the Ur of the Chaldees. You can serve the, the sun and the moon. You can ser- or you can serve the hedonistic gods. You can do, you get to choose, but make a choice. 
See, that's the thing. We have to make a choice. And he's pushing them to a decision. Remember, he's getting ready. He knows death is coming. And so he's saying, hey, you've got to make a choice. If you don't want to choose the living and true God, then go back to the false gods that you used to worship. That's what he's telling them. You know, here's your choices. You can't be neutral. You can't live neutral. Not making a decision is a decision, by the way. You can't live neutral. So he says, look, if you're not going to choose a living and true God, then go back to your false gods like you used to worship. Go all the way back to Ur if you would like. You know, some people prefer the gods of this world to the one true God of the Bible. Listen, we have it today. You know, we, we have, uh, today we have created God in our little g to our own liking. That's what's wrong with our culture today is we have created a God that winks at every sin that says we, that, that pleasure, hedonism, is the ultimate in everything. And so if I want to identify as something other than what he made me, then I'm okay because that makes me happy. We've created gods that do not hold us accountable, that do not call us to responsible living, that call us to do whatever we feel like we ought to do. After all, the ultimate goal in life is to be happy. He said, you know what, if that's what you want to do, then you go right ahead. You know, their eyes are so blinded by sin, their, their hearts so given up to fleshly indulgences that they would rather drink from the cesspool of sin than drink from the water of life. And that's culture. And I, here, here's the genius of biblical religion, okay? If you ever thought about it. We don't have to coerce people to serve the Lord. We don't have to coerce them to serve the Lord. If they prefer some other way, then so be it. Then, then so be it. A man, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Listen, we have nothing to fear and everything to gain by presenting the options and giving people the right to make their own choices. I'm all for that. Present the gospel, show them the way, tell our story, but ultimately they have to make a decision. See, I've got to, I've got to raise my family uh, to remember my heritage, to talk about those, you know, and he goes all the way back. He said, you know what, you can go back and you can serve the gods of our forefathers. You can do that if you want to, or you can choose to serve the true God, but you've got to make a choice. You know, Joshua, again, it, it's a very interesting way of doing that because he just lays it out for him, says at some point you've got to make a choice, and every one of us have to do the same thing. The fifth thing is this. We have to choose. If I'm going to, if, if I'm going to make these five decisions to, to ensure my family has an opportunity to serve the Lord, number five, I've got to choose daily to serve the Lord. See, my faith is more than just a Sunday go-to-meeting faith. It has to be. If, if all my faith is good for is going to church on Sunday and patting one another on the back and saying a hearty amen and a praise the Lord and then going on my merry way, my faith is not good at all. My faith has to be a, 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 a daily faith. Joshua puts it like this, but as for me and my house, one version says, my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. This is, again, one of the most famous statements in the Old Testament, and rightly so. 
because it is a, you got to understand the context. It's, a, it's an aged, saintly man who knows that his time is limited, and he's trying to communicate to the next generations. It expresses a heart of a great spiritual leader at the end of his life. And in these simple words, we find the will of God expressly stated. We are to serve the Lord, and we're to do everything within our power to see that our family follows that example. That's the will of God. Matthew Henry said, uh, again, the commentator uh, said it like this, that serving this type of serving the Lord requires, he calls it serious godliness. I like that. Serious godliness. It captures the spirit of Joshua's words. If we're going to do what he did and say what he said, then that's going to require serious godliness on all of our parts because it's just not something you can say if you're not going to put some seriousness to it. The implications are tremendous. Number one, we have to personally decide to serve the Lord. What does that mean? It means I can't choose for you and you can't choose for me. No matter how many, I've had parents in my 30 years of pastoring here, I've, no, I can't, I've lost count of how many parents have, have, have come and expressed sorrow about their, their child or decisions they're making. And I've always said the same thing. You can't choose for them. As hard as that is to hear, we have a shot to model and all these other four things I talked about, model for them, teach them, uh, again, give them the examples that they need, help them to fall in love with Jesus, but ultimately they've got to decide. It's a personal, it's a personal choice. We, we need a generation of Joshua's who will make the choice for themselves. The second thing is parents have a special obligation to set the right example in this area. Again, I would say that we could hardly expect our children <coughs> to serve Christ if we take our duties lightly. We, we can hardly expect. Now, now, I know there's stories where people, I, I know, in fact, I know great pastors that, were, that went to church on a school, on a church bus. Parents didn't follow the Lord, didn't know the Lord. But they went because of the church bus coming by to pick them up. And they went on to do great things for the Lord. Their family ultimately got saved. Those are great stories, but... but not everybody has that story. We can't expect our children to fall in love with Jesus if we don't love him. Amen? And I think the third implication is fathers have the, high, the highest obligation. You know, when I go back to Mobile, I love, I, I love to hear people say to me that I remind them of my dad. I, I, I love that. I, I, I cherish that when somebody says, you know, you remind me. They, they, they call him Ed or Leslie. You remind me of Ed, and I wear that. I wear that because, you know, it's a testament not to me. It's a testament to how well my dad lived his life and modeled faith for me. I, you've heard me say many times unashamedly, I am where I am today because of my father. I was a punk kid, got in trouble, didn't want anything to do with, with God, but my dad modeled and taught me. He wasn't a preacher, but he preached to me every day of my life. And again, you've heard me say, the only message my dad knew, Jesus is coming, you better be ready. <laughs> that's the only message, that's the only thing he ever preached. And boy, did it work. You know, my dad lived and modeled for me a great life. If it's true that the apple never falls far from the tree, you know what, then I need to make sure that the tree's healthy. Or else we'll have no idea what the fruit's going to be like. And I, I will add this, grandparents... I think grandparents in today's world have a huge role to play in those 
succeeding generations. I love speaking words of faith to my grandchildren. I love praying with them. When, when, when Audrey was born, uh, Becca was still on staff as our children's pastor, and we used to have these banners on the wall. And on Sunday mornings, I, she would come with, with Rebecca, and, and I would pick her up in my arms as a, not even a year old, and we would walk and lay hands on every poster before service, and we would pray those countries represented. I love doing that. When they, when they stay at my house, I love to tuck them into bed, and I'll kneel down like I did with my children, and I pray a nightly prayer with them. I love doing that. Listen, grandparents, invest. I, I know sometimes there's strained relationships, but if you have that opportunity, invest in, them, in their lives. You know, I'm challenged as I wrap, get this ready to close out tonight. I'm challenged by his boldness. See, this is a public statement, but as for me, what this means is he's saying, look, I don't care what the rest of you do, but I'm serving the Lord. He was public about it. He wasn't hiding it under a bushel. He was a city set up on a hill, and he said, I will serve the Lord. Even though he was a leader of the nation, he was willing to put his own people, uh, his, his, uh, he was willing to part, that's what I meant to say, he was willing to part with his own people over this fundamental issue. He said, you choose whom you will serve, but I will serve the Lord. You know, sometimes that may be a defining thing for us. I know families, unfortunately, if you decide to follow Jesus, not everybody will be in your ticker tape parade not everybody will re be rejoicing and shouting and praising the Lord for your decision to follow Christ. I think about people in the Middle East and other parts of the world that they get disowned, disinherited, simply because they confess Christ as Lord. Joshua said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said it long before Paul ever wrote it down. The second thing, not only was it a public statement, it was a personal decision. But as for me... Again, he wasn't inferring to anyone else or deflecting to anyone else. He said, but as for me. And in the end, it comes down to this. We have to decide whom we will serve. And it doesn't happen by accident, right? And it can't be inherited by your parents. You can give them the heritage, but at some point, you've got to make your own decision. You've heard my story many times, and I grew up on my parents' faith. When I was in high school, I abandoned that faith because it wasn't my faith. I ran away from home. I got mixed up in all the worldly stuff that they told me was necessary to be happy and content and successful, and it didn't work. But in 1985, I made it my faith. So it's got to be personal. Number three, it was, it was a persuasive declaration. He said, but as for me and my house, to me, this is probably one of the most amazing statements of all. Joshua, notice what he's doing. Joshua is the appointed leader for his family, and he's stepping up into that leadership role. He said, as for my family, this is what we're going to do. That's, that's incredible to me. Dads, take on that responsibility. Take on that responsibility. He claims the right to speak for his wife, for his children, for his grandchildren, and his great grandchildren, and even for their servants. He said, as for me and my household, we're serving the Lord. That's leadership. And I know today in our, in our whacked out world, 
people say, well, he doesn't have a right to speak for others. No nonsense. God laid a heavy burden on that man to be the priest of that home. And he steps up into that priestly role and he says, you know what? I hold the proxy in my hand. I hold the proxy for my wife and my children and my grandchildren and my servants. And you know what? We're serving the Lord. I think every Christian man ought to make that declaration saying, you know what, devil, I'm putting my foot down as for me and my house. I'm speaking as God's man in my home. We're going to serve the Lord. It's a positive statement. He said, we will serve the Lord. Again, it's more than a statement of forsaking the other gods. It's a statement of actively serving. It's not saying I'm going to send my family to church and, and, and let them worship. The Lord. No, he didn't. He said, no, we're going to do it. We are going to do it. So how can a man, I'm going to wrap up with this because I think this would be a question here. How could a man speak so certainly about his family? Well, I think because Joshua knew that he had taught them well for many years. He had modeled for them. Again, I think he also understood it was a personal commitment for each of them. And, and I think we have to be careful of reading that and somehow assuming uh, that, that our families will automatically. Here, here's what I want to say to that. This, this, this kind of raises the question, and the question is this. Can I guarantee that my children and my grandchildren will follow in my steps and serve the same Lord that I worship? And the answer is no. Because God has given each one of us the ability to make our own choices. Now, now, let me qualify that. We all know sad cases where godly parents produced, all, produced offspring who did not serve the Lord, right? Anybody know somebody like that? So, so then the question is, so what does the text mean? If he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> That's a bad day when your watch talks to you. So, so, the, so, again, in closing, we, we cannot guarantee what our children are going to do, but here's the thing. We can provide them an atmosphere of seriousness, serious godliness, okay? So, so what does that mean? It means that I can create an atmosphere in my home where the likelihood of them following the Lord is much, much greater than if I didn't provide that at all. That's really what that means. Listen, I, I, I've, I've raised my, my children were... Rebecca was four years old when we started pastoring this church. My son was 18 months old when we started pastoring this church. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but she's older than four right now. <laughs> My son is older. They have children. I did what I could, and if my daughter and my son and their families make it to heaven, then it's because I created an atmosphere that would enable them and help them to follow that path, but they are free to choose not to go that path. And I think this is where parents really struggle sometimes in that we take ownership of decisions that we had nothing to do with. Our, our children choose opposite of what we want to choose for them. And I would simply say 
uh, and I've taught on this before, what do we pray for our families that are not serving the Lord? We pray the only prayer we can, God, I pray that you open the eyes of their understanding that they might hear your truth and believe. Because without a divine illumination, they will not believe. You cannot argue them into the kingdom. You cannot fight them into the kingdom. But you can pray them into the kingdom. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, he's making a declaration that I'm, as a dad, the priest of my home, are going to create an atmosphere where the likelihood of them following, falling in love with Jesus is greater than if I did nothing at all. So my question as I close, is your mind made up? The application couldn't be any clearer. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Bob Dylan said it like this. You're going to have to serve somebody. Right? Anybody remember that? You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he's very true. No one gets a free ride. No one can straddle the fence. There is no room for neutrality. Every person needs a God, and every person will serve a God. The only one, the only choice is will it be the God of heaven or will it be the God of our forefathers on the other side of the river? Won't you stand with me? We have to make our choice, we have to cast our vote, and then we have to serve somebody. As we close tonight, uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bow with me as we just close out in prayer. As we wrap up this series tonight, let me just ask you, maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I want to set the tone in my house. You know, I recognize I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not doing the job I need to do. Maybe I've just gotten distracted and gotten busy and I just didn't really pay much attention to it. But tonight I really recognize how vital it is to my family that I'm on fire for Jesus. And I set the tone you're online this evening, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. But if you're here tonight, say, Pastor, I want to be the priest of my home. I want to hold that proxy with sincerity and conviction to be able to say, you know what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the second thing is this. Maybe you're here tonight and you have someone in your family, a, a loved one, relative that's not serving the Lord, and it weighs on you. You say, Pastor, I just want to pray. I, I, want God to, I want God to save them. In any one of those areas, if that's you, just slip in. Write them right back down as we pray tonight. Father, tonight I thank you for such a great example of Joshua. Lord, tonight I pray that we would all square our shoulders and plant our feet and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May we create that positive atmosphere for our children and our grandchildren to know you and to love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, I pray for parents that are online tonight, watching maybe later in the week, that have children, they are struggling in their parenting. Lord, I pray they recognize that, they, that, that, that it is a tough assignment. But Lord, I pray you give them supernatural strength to model what it means to love you, to teach them, to show them, remind them of the goodness of the Lord. Lord, we'll see your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, remind them of that. Let them recount stories of how you intervened and how you saved and how you delivered and how you provided. Lord, help us to do everything we can to teach and pass on that living faith. Lord, as men, may we step up into that priestly role that you've called us, and may we hold proxy for our families and speak with, with absolute clarity and certainty of spirit. 
that we will serve the Lord. Father, I pray for those who raise their hand that have loved ones that are not serving you. Lord, we all stand in agreement right now. We, we pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they might see your truth and believe. Lord, this we pray for them. And Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a great restful night. And should you tarry, bring us on Sunday. Lord, bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. Lord, I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. God bless you so much. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, and Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus.